chapter book, Philippians. It's taken us a little while to get here. We're in week eight. Uh, we're still going to be here next week because uh, today's message ended up being two, which you'll be glad to know. I cut in half instead of going twice as long. Or I could go twice as long. It doesn't seem like anybody minds. Um, but we're going to dismiss the kids. They're going to go back with Miss Lydia. I think she's got most of them right now. Um, and while they are heading out, I'm going to ask a question. Um, in the last, uh, well, let's see, it's been seven weeks, but only six of those did we have uh, like words that we laid out for each, you know, the ones that have been back here. First week was an overview of how we got to Philippians out of Acts. But I'm wondering, can anybody remember there were seven words in six weeks? Does anybody remember any of them? Uh, okay. Not ashamed. Chains. There was one that said chains. Yep. What else? There was one that said love. You guys remember that one? Uh, focus. That's the one that uh, Dick did when I was gone. Does anybody remember the first two? Because we're going to kind of connect back to the first two today. It was the very first message out of Philippians. It was the second week we started. It was two things. I am a... Anybody? Saint and a servant. You were close. Slaves, very, very close. So we're going to connect back to those today uh, and get another I am for each of us from the church uh, so that we, we can say, I am a saint, I am a servant, and I am something else. We're going to get to that one in a minute. But let's read starting in uh, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. He continues saying, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, teach us today uh, what this manner of life, this manner of conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ looks like that we may walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. I like the way the translation of the Bible in the NIV reads this first verse. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is addressing the church in Philippi and us by extension, and he's concerned with two things today, two things that should receive our attention this morning, church family, and they're this. First, Paul is concerned with the nature of or quality of the church's stand against evil uh, and the individuals in it. And he phrases it here saying, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy. So he's concerned with what that, that confrontation with evil, with the world looks like and that we have a way to conduct ourselves. And he's also concerned with a right Christian response to suffering. In the West, in the United States, we typically have a wrong, <laughs> a wrong understanding of Christian suffering, but we're going to save that for next week because I felt like suffering was a whole message at best. It's probably a whole series, 
But we're going to wait and talk a little bit about suffering next week. So this week, we're going to turn our attention to what this idea, this conduct is that is a, that is a, a, a way of living that is worthy of Christ. Now, usually when Paul, in fact, I'm going to flip over to Ephesians here, um, usually when Paul talks about the nature of Christian living, he uses the word walk. He often talks about our, our, our walk with the Lord. And in fact, in Ephesians 5, I'm just going to read a couple because we know Paul also wrote Ephesians. He says to the Christians in Ephesus, walk in love is one of the things he says. He also says, walk in the light. And then he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so we know from experience throughout other books and letters that he wrote that he likes to term the, 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 the journey of the Christian as a walk. But for some reason, in Philippians, he uses the word conduct. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, we don't capture this because we're not Philippians, <laughs> but they would have understood this to mean uh, that there was a citizenship aspect here, that what Paul was actually saying was that as you conduct yourselves, do so in a manner that a citizen of heaven would do. So it carries, it carries a different idea than just walk it, it also carries the idea of remember whose you are. Anybody, your parents ever said that to you when you left the house? Lydia's. Uh, it's not my story. It's Lydia's story, but she's not in here. She would leave uh, to go out on a date or go do something, and on her way out, her mom and her dad would say, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. I think they were referring to Fowler's, um, but in this respect, Paul is saying, remember your Christ's. And in being in Christ, you are a citizen of, of heaven. You are a citizen that belongs to God. Now, it's important for us to understand what the citizenship responsibility of conduct yourselves in a manner worthy really means. Uh, there's a reason Paul chose to say this instead of walk. Never forget that you represent the kingdom of God. And never, never, never forget that as you live your life conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, that you are representing a kingdom that belongs to the Father. You remember Paul also talks about this idea of us being um, ambassadors. He loves that idea. Ambassadors in a foreign land, in a foreign place. We're citizens of a kingdom that's not this one. Yes, we're Americans. Yes, we live in America, and yes, there's all the things that, that, that governments have and do and say that you should and shouldn't do. But, but above all, Paul's saying, remember you are a citizen that belongs to the Father, and always conduct yourself with a certain code of conduct. Now, if we're supposed to conduct ourselves by the certain code of conduct, we should know what the certain code of conduct is, right? In this passage, Paul defines this manner of conduct uh, using three ideas, and, and there are others that he builds uh, later in the book. There are others that he adds in other books that he's written. But today, we're going to talk about these three characteristics that kind of define this code of conduct, if you will. And they are this, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving, I like the NIV says contending, we're going to talk about that in a minute, side by side for the faith in the gospel, and being not afraid. 
So we're going to get started and take these three things, kind of unpack them and see what they mean. But I have a question for you as we start. What happens when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste? Toothpaste comes out. Who did that? <laughs> what happens when you squeeze a ketchup bottle? Ketchup comes out, right? I mean, you open the lid, ketchup comes out. What happens when you get squeezed? What happens when you get squeezed? What happens when the pressures of this world squeeze you? When uh, pressures at work, pressures at home, pressures in the world around us squeeze us, what happens? It's overwhelming, isn't it? I don't know about you, and and it's going to be different for each of us, but I can tell you in the last year or two um, what has come out when I've been squeezed, and some of them haven't been that great. Uh, sometimes it was despair. Sometimes it was sadness. Some moments uh, there was frustration and short temper. Anybody had short temper this year? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that comes out when we're squeezed. Sometimes it was just resignation. You ever been squeezed and you're just resigned? You're like the empty tube of toothpaste. You're just like, yeah, checked out. But a good thing also happened in the last year or two. In some of those moments of despair and frustration and resignation, I looked to God and I sought Him and I asked Him to fill me with His Spirit, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me so that I can see things for what they are and not what they feel like to me. And you know what? The Lord was faithful to do that. And he can be faithful to do that with all of us. It produced in me when I gave the Father opportunity, endurance and perseverance. I was able to not check out. I was able to keep going. I was able to pick up and keep going. And I hope that each of you, in one way or another, at some time or another, had this relationship with the Father this year, that even in the moment when you were squeezed and you felt resigned and you felt frustrated and you felt angry, you were able to reach out to the Father and say, Lord God, forgive me, I feel, uh, and fill in the blank, I feel like this today. And that the Father was able to fill you up and pick you up and point you in the right direction, and walk with you. It produces endurance. I think that's one of the things that we struggle with in the Christian life, is finding endurance, because we need to have endurance to carry on, to keep going. And I think that's what Paul is really talking about. If we talk about these three points in kind of a broad stroke, he says when we're squeezed, And he even is asking the question, and I'm asking the question, when you're squeezed, how do you respond? Do you respond in a manner worthy of Christ and his gospel? Or are we responding in another way? How can we have endurance in the name of Christ, for the cause of Christ, for the gospel of Christ, not only starting well, but finishing well. And man, that is another thing we struggle with. It's, it's easy to start well, right? It's easy to start good. Anybody ever had a good start? Anybody ever had a good ending? There's le- I, think there's, I think I heard less yeses on that one. Man, we know, we know how to start. We know how to start well. 
We know how to get all our ducks in a row. We know how to write a plan. We know how to set it in motion. We know how to get going. And then somewhere along the way, we get tripped up, don't we? And we don't finish well. And Paul today is giving us uh, this code of conduct and saying that the code of conduct, this walking worthy, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ, it ends in a life that ends well. It starts out well, but it also ends well. In a way, to bring back last week's, in a way that you are not ashamed. In a way that you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So what are these three things? The first one he mentions is standing firm in one spirit. And we're going to move through these pretty quick. Um, there's a lot here. We'll talk about it again. Uh, we are meeting this Wednesday, so if the group, anybody in that group can come, anybody not in the group, you can also come. Uh, Wednesday, we meet at 6.30, right, Barbara? 6.30? 6.30 in the room right behind there. Um, anybody can come. We've been having a great time. When we meet, we will be this week talking about this, and we'll talk further about some of these things. But Let's look at this idea of standing firm in one spirit. Now, there's two things that I want you to grab here uh, and, and think about. He says really two things here. Stand firm, but then he also says to do it together. Do you catch that? He says standing firm in one spirit, standing firm uh, with one mind, another translation puts it. Standing firm together. Uh, I'm going to flip over to Ephesians again. And I'm going to read out of Ephesians 6, and we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of standing firm. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle or struggle or strive or contend, if you will, against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, that's another form of the word stand, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand do you, get, do you get what's happening here yet? Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, of righteousness, whew, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can withstand all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. I'm just going to read it out to the end of 20. Also for me, that the words may be given to me in, my opening, in the opening of my mouth to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wow, I think we could spend a long time in that passage because he just hit all the things we talked about, and then some, didn't he? And we're going to come back to the end of that passage in a moment because it connects to another point. But the thing I want you to capture here is that Paul is very interested in the conduct of our walk or our, our conduct that is a, a, a manner that is worthy that we stand, that we don't check out. I love that you use the word check out because when you check out, you just kind of flop. Anybody done that this year? 
yeah, in the last two years, maybe the last three or four years, maybe longer, you've just checked out. So I'm done. I'm finished. I've resigned. Do you notice all the words in there were like struggle and wrestle and strive and contend and stand? They're active. They're not passive. Uh, flopping, checking out, flopping over, resigning. Those are passive words. You just sit down and you say, I'm done. Or you lay down and say, I'm done. But Paul says part of the manner of conduct that pleases God that the citizen of heaven has is that they stand firm and they are unmoved. Uh, if you'll notice every week, uh, most every week, I do a new uh, little poster around the building. Some of you might see them, some of you might not. There's usually two out there and then I put one in here. You can see it over here in the corner. It says stand firm and it shows a lighthouse with a huge wave about to crash into it. It's just the idea that no matter what comes uh, in that lighthouse, no matter how violent the storm, no matter how strong the wind blows, the lighthouse is going to stand. That's how we stand. But notice that he, he, he said, stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. It's, and, and, and that's the second point that we, we're going to talk about here, but we're going to connect the second and first points back together in a moment. Never, ever get in your mind that you are in this alone. We are loners. No matter how much we like to be around people, no matter how American, how Western we are, um, and how much uh, we are, um, uh, what is it, introvert, extrovert, Right? No matter how much those things play out in our lives, at the heart, we're selfish and we're loners. And we want to do things alone. And we often try to live, in fact, what do we call it? It's our, it's, it's, my, it's my Christian walk. It's my life. It's my relationship with Christ. Paul is reminding us that it's not yours. <laughs> it's ours. And that's why Christ wants Christians gathered into the church, the church universal, but also the church local, like our church. He says, it's not good to be alone. You remember he said that to Adam and Eve. It's not good for man to be alone. So he put Adam and Eve, he made man and woman, he put them together. It's not good for Christians to be alone by the same token. We need each other. And Paul says, if you are going to, if you are going to stand firm in one spirit and in one mind, do it side by side because you can hold each other up you can support each other you can grab onto somebody when you're about to check out you can you can call for a, a lifeline a, a life vest a rope i've done that a lot in the last year there have been many times in the last uh last six seven months when i've reached out to somebody a lot of times it was lydia but it has been some of you as well and we've reached out to the church in general many times and asked you to pray for us and to walk with us. And many of you have reached out to the church and asked for us to walk with you and pray for you. And that's the beauty of what God is doing, knitting us together, is that we can strive, we can contend together. Paul says, with one mind, strive and contend side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
Let me add something else to this. Not only does he say that we do this together, but we also do it for a reason, for the faith of the gospel. But, but before we get there, I want to define this word strive or contend. I almost put the word contend up there. I love that word. You ever seen the movie? It's an old movie. I always thought it was Rocky said it, but it was actually from a Marlon Brando movie way back, uh, The Waterfront, I think it was called, something like that. Uh, and, and, and he was a boxer, and he threw the fight because his brother talked him into it, and he, uh, he, they won the money, but he lost his reputation. And at the end of the movie, he's telling his brother, he said, if I hadn't thrown that fight, I could have been a contender. You guys ever heard, you guys heard, you've heard the quote, probably, I could have been a contender, but you don't know where it came from. I don't want that to be my, my statement when I look back on my life. I could have been a contender. I could have been a contender. Paul says, contend now, strive now. Strive and contend for the faith of the gospel. Now look, the word contend or strive means to struggle in opposition. It's against something, in other words. It's to compete, to battle, to wrestle, to grapple. Would you say that the character of your life in the last year or two has been grappling and striving and contending for the right things? Because we have, we have, stri- we have strived and contended and grappled and wrestled about all the wrong things for sure as a people, as a nation, as individuals, absolutely. We have gotten the wrong things in our sights. We have focused on the things of the world, the things of earth, the things of the United States, the things of the government, as opposed to the things of God and making those primary. What have you struggled and opposed and competed and battled and wrestled and grappled with in the kingdom of God? in the last year or two. Now, we haven't had a new statement. I said this at the beginning. We have the, I am a saint. I am a servant. This is another one. Paul's reminding us. He's saying, you know what? You're a saint. You're a servant, but you're also a contender. You're contending. You're a wrestler. You're a fighter because we have something to fight against, don't we? Now, we get this wrong sometimes. We get confused because we think we're fighting against the government we're fighting against rules, we're fighting against laws, we're fighting against neighbors or things we don't like or things we don't agree with, when in reality, that struggle and that force should be applied to something else. Ephesians, again, 6.12, we read a moment ago, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we get confused because we wrestle against the things we can see when in fact the battle in front of us is against things we can't see. It's easy to fight something you can see, isn't it? (laughs) I think we've learned, and we've learned that in spades in the last two years, right? We can fight against what we can see, can't see COVID. So we're fearful and we worry, and we fight, and we wrestle, and we can't see it. We contend against it, um, and we worry about it, when in fact the things we should be fighting about and contending for and striving for are the things that are important to God in the kingdom of heaven, and those are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, Let's talk about that. 
because we get this confused. Listen, your spouse is not your enemy. Your children are not your enemy. Your parents are not your enemy. Your employer is not your enemy. Your employees are not the enemy. The government is not the enemy. COVID is not the enemy. Regulations, laws, rules, politicians, they are not the enemy. Paul is reminding us in Philippians, as he has in Ephesians, that your enemy is this. They are the forces in this life that you struggle against which are not human and which are not seen. They are not flesh and blood. In a lot of places, in a lot of cases, they can't even be named. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, our battle in this life is not conducted in terms of human strength. How much I can lift, how much I can stand, how much I can carry, how much I can wrestle. Our battle in this life is in spiritual terms, and it's based on spiritual strength. And you might consider and count yourself strong physically, but how would you rank your spiritual fitness and your spiritual health and your spiritual strength? Because this is the thing we should be honing. Now, I have, uh, in the last couple months, I bought a rower. I love rowing. I don't know why. You don't go anywhere. You just sit on the rower and you push and you pull and you slide back and forth. But it works, I love this, it works 86% of your muscles to use a rower. Riding your bike, you know, it's just like lower body. And there's a lot of other stuff you can do that that just does this part of that part of your body. I love rowing because I can do one thing and I can work 86%. I don't know what 14% is not work, but I'm not worried about the 14 right now. I just want to get the 86%. If I get the 86% in shape, the 14 will probably follow. I'm hoping. But what do you do? What, what, <laughs> to, to, to make up a term, what's your spiritual rower? What's the thing you do spiritually to build your spiritual health? Because a lot of times I think we neglect it. We talk about reading. We talk about uh, journaling. We talk about praying. We talk about gathering a group, studying the Bible. We talk about mentoring people. We talk about sharing our faith. We talk about walking with another Christian who is less mature than we are and walking with one that's more mature than we are so that we can grow and help people grow. But how much of that do we actually do? We talk a really good game, don't we? We seem to know all the things we should be doing spiritually. Unfortunately, I think we do the spiritual stuff about as well as we do the physical stuff. We start off well. And then it starts to slip. And before we know it, we're a couple weeks in and we're like, that habit's gone. And oh yeah, I forgot I was, I was doing that, but then it kind of slipped. I think that's one of the reasons he says, do these things together. Strive together. Contend together. Don't do it by yourself. Because not only can one be destroyed on their own or, or taken out or, or checked out. But when you walk together, man, you can hold each other up. You can lock arms. You can hold hands. You can walk. You can hold each other accountable. You can say, hey, you know what? Um, it's just like exercise. You know, I'm going to start exercising with another person, and you kind of hold each other accountable. Of course, now, if the two people don't, you know, you can still run into trouble. But the point here is don't do anything by yourself. Stand firm 
and contend. Do you know what one of the best ways, I'm going to actually give you two. The two best ways I believe Paul and the Scripture teaches us to contend and to struggle are this. I think this is the very best way to take the battle straight to the forces of evil. It's to post it on Facebook. <laughs> I think that's the best way. No, wait a minute. That, that, no. Um, it's put a sign in your yard. A bumper sticker? A tweet. TikTok. Instagram. Those are the things we turn to a lot, aren't they? When we want to throw up on somebody about something. We just throw it out there. No. I submit to you today the very best way to take the battle straight to the forces of evil is twofold. Pray and share your faith with another person. Now, for some reason, we don't care too much for either one of those. We say we do, but we don't do it enough. We don't do it like we believe it. Why do I say pray and share with another person. Paul talked about it in the Ephesians 6 passage. Remember, I told you these two points were going to reconnect. Mid verse 18, he says this, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that's prayer, for all the saints, that's for the believers, and also for me, that's Paul. And he says that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak striving, contending in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is communicating with the Father, staying connected. You could add reading your word in there and telling people the gospel, sharing the gospel in whatever way you have, whether it's a simple sharing of the gospel, whether it's complex, whether it's sit down and look through scripture, whether it's just a gospel conversation that you have with somebody uh, where you're able to interject something scriptural into a conversation to get people thinking about something else besides just this world. And I'm going to tell you, nothing scares Satan more Nothing makes the, the demons tremble more than when we speak to the Father and He speaks to us through His Word. And when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a person who doesn't know Him. Because then you're in His territory. You're walking in His land among His people, uh, telling them the gospel of Christ, which can save them from it. I have a dangerous question. This is a dangerous question to ask. Do you spend as much time praying for believers, that's the saints, and sharing your faith with those who don't know Christ as you do posting your perceived injustices on the internet. Because a, we, a lot of us do that. We get on the internet and we, like, we, we, we post something or we like something or somebody else says something and we spend time saying, yep, I like that. Yep, I'm going to throw up that same idea on everybody else that I know. How much time are you spending? Uh, I'm not saying you can't write on Facebook. I'm just saying if you spend more time in some way, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, complaining about injustices in this world, which are seen, instead of spending your time praying, talking to the Father, and taking the battle to the streets with the gospel of Jesus Christ where the battle is unseen, then I think we're missing the boat. We're missing it if we think 
that Facebook is going to change anybody's mind. It's not. But you know what will? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is living and is active. It goes out and it doesn't return void. And when you tell somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to decide something. They're going to decide yes, they're going to decide no, they're going to decide listen some more, read some more, study some more, seek some more, or say nope. But whatever happens, happens because you're, you're diligent to walk and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the last thing, and I know we're, we're, we're getting close on time here. <laughs> my, my thing is red now. It says, you're done. The last thing he says is you're not frightened. Do all of this in an atmosphere of fearlessness, if you will. Paul says living or conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy to the gospel or of the gospel of Jesus Christ means not being afraid. And often that's why we don't do the things we should do because we're afraid. We're worried what somebody might think, what somebody might say. It's easier to post something on Facebook, whether it's anonymous or not. It's easier just to throw it out there than to actually have a conversation with somebody. It's, it's, it's easier to do something like that than it is to sit down with somebody and say, just a very simple, I mean, I, we, we talked about this many times, just a very simple conversation. Hey, I want to tell you something. Um, I want to tell you about who I was before I met Christ. And here's how I met Christ, and here's how He's changed me. It's a simple three-step story. Anybody can tell it. If you have truly met Jesus Christ, and you have met Him, and He has changed you, you have that story. It's called your testimony. But don't make it into a fancy word testimony. Just say, hey, I want to share a story with you. I want to tell you about my life. You're struggling today. Let me tell you how, how the Lord helped me in my struggles. There are so many ways into these conversations, but we're afraid to take them. Let's look at that word fear real quick. Fear is an unpleasant emotion. Would everybody agree? <laughs> it's unpleasant. It's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous and likely to cause pain or a threat. Now, throughout Scripture, God repeats to and through His people the phrase, do not fear, over and over. Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's not just His right hand but his righteous right hand. Joshua 1, 1 through 9, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, who was Moses' assistant, he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go to Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, just as I promised. From the wilderness and this uh, Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. We're supposed to be strong and courageous, but sometimes we're just wimpy. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, he says, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with, it, is with you wherever you go. Man, if there, I mean, I put, again, I put stand firm up here. But do not fear. Doesn't that fit also? There were like so many words. I didn't have enough letters to spell. I don't know where I would have put them all. Do not fear. I want to define a word here called faith. Faith is to completely trust or have confidence in someone or something. Now, listen, fear is really about control. And faith is about letting go. And we want to control. When something is out of our control, uh, COVID, politics, fill in the blank, we can become fearful. Look what's happening. Uh, the, the world is falling apart. In, in some ways, we can sound like uh, Chicken Little. The sky is falling. And this is the worst it's ever been. It's not the worst it's ever been. It's always been this way. Ever since sin entered the world, the world has been broken, and it's on its way down the toilet, and it's always been this way, and I don't know why we seem surprised by it. We should not be surprised. We can't control the things of this world, and the things that we can't control, we're afraid of. We want to be in control, so then we're not afraid. If I know I can control things, then I know I don't have to worry about the outcome. There's nothing new under the sun. I know some of you are like, no, it's worse than it ever was. No, it's really not. Um, Read the Old Testament. If you're not convinced about the depravity of man in today's world and you think it's worse now than it was then, read the Old Testament. Read Ecclesiastes. Uh, In fact, that's where that quote's from. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all already happened before. But faith, faith is about releasing control. It's about saying, I don't have to be in control. I can let go of these things and trust that the Father in heaven, who created all things and is in all things, and according to Hebrews, holds them all in his hand, spinning and active and alive just by the power of his word. I can trust in him and have faith in him. Faith is about releasing control. When I have faith in God and I pray and I give it all over to God and I release my perceived control, I can have trust and confidence in a Father, God in heaven, who has the best plans for me. Now, does that mean my life is going to be perfect and everything's going to be roses? No. You remember Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I've come that you may have abundant life, but in this world, you're going to have trouble. Take heart, therefore, knowing I have overcome the world. And we don't have to fear the world. We don't have to fear the things that we don't understand. And we don't have to try to hold on and control the things we're afraid of. We release them into the hand of the Father who knows all and is in all and holds it all together in the palm of His hand. Are you standing firm today? 
Would you say your life is characterized by the stance of standing firm? Are you contending and striving for the faith of the gospel, or are you contending and striving in vain against things of the world, things that are seen, things that are out of your control, and things that eternally don't matter one bit? Are you immobilized by fear? I'm going to read the beginning of that again. It says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you do that by standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, contending, striving, wrestling together, side by side, for the faith of the gospel, and being not afraid by any who oppose you. Why? Because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you are His, and He is yours. Now, that brings us to the gospel, doesn't it? When we talk about the gospel, and, and I'm going over, and Lydia's going to be like, man, this lasted forever today, but now we're at the gospel. You can't have a message, and you end at the gospel, and you just stop, right? You might be thinking, I am fearful, and all these things, and I know that I've never asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior, and, and the world just looks crazy to me, and I'm frightened, and I can't stand, and I don't have anybody to walk with. Um, and all of the things we talked about today sound great, but they don't characterize my life. Um, that's why Jesus Christ came. He came so that you didn't have to try to fix all those things on your own. He came pri- precisely because you can't fix your own sin problem and precisely because you can't fix the problems of this world and he says very simply if you'll release control of yourself to me by turning yourself over and saying i can't do this anymore i can't fix myself I can't forgive my own sin. I can't work hard enough to be made right. But instead, Father, I know that through the power of what Christ did on the cross, you can effect a change in me by the blood of Jesus Christ that covers sin because of the death and the burial and resurrection of of the Son of God. I can be made right. If you go to the Father and you say, Father, forgive me, I've sinned. I need your son, Jesus Christ, to save me. Scripture says that he will save you. That was his whole purpose. He loves you. He loves all of us. He loves everyone. We're his creation. But to become a child of God, you have to have faith in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Scripture says if you call on the name of the Lord God and through the power of Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that you will be saved by no power of your own, by nothing you could do on your own, built solely upon the sacrifice of Christ. You can do that right now. You can do that in this moment. Just cry out to the Father, Father, forgive me, I've sinned. Please save me. Make me new. Paul talks about that. He says, in that moment, the Father will take away the old man, the old self, the old stuff, 
and he'll make you new with new stuff, <laughs> a new man, a new woman, a new child of God. We're his image bearers, but until we become his in salvation, we're just spinning our wheels. So instead of striving pointlessly, instead of fearing everything, come to the Father and ask that He save you in the power of His Son, Jesus Christ. We're going to pray and then we're going we're to share communion in a moment. Let's go to the Father and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we have grappled with this today, there was uh, there's a lot of good news in the book of Philippians, but some of it comes uh, at, at a hard, a hard angle. Paul is not cutting us any, any easy routes here. He's very pointed about what it means to follow you, what it means to conduct ourselves, how a Christian should live. Father, forgive us for all of the ways as Christians, even us individually, me, Lord, have damaged the image of Christ by the things we've done and said, by the ways we've conducted ourselves that weren't in the manner that's worthy. And Lord, we've all done it. Lord, forgive us today as we enter into this time in a moment where we share this meal called communion, where we remind ourselves and are reminded of Christ and His final meal and His death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, prepare our hearts again as the scripture we read says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Lord, we, we pray that today. We ask that before you, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, Lord, that I may walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I might reflect the kingdom values of God to the people around me in how I speak, how I conduct myself, the things that I say and do. Lord, that there would be no doubt when somebody comes across uh, something I've written somewhere, or something that I've said, there be no doubt whatsoever that I belong to you. Lord, I pray that you do that in us today. Lord, thank you for forgiving us for our failings, our sins, our shortcomings. And Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the communion that we're about to share together. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen.